Welcome to Queer Christian Conversations with me, your host, Coach Yema. I help LGBTQ plus people make peace with their faith and their sexuality. Hello, my podcast listeners. How are you? I hope you're having a fabulous week. Uh, we're going to have some time here to do our check-ins. Hello, everybody. Come on in. Today, we are talking about a much uh, requested uh, topic, which is Calvinism, okay? So we're gonna get into it. If you have questions related to that, I'm not promising I'm gonna get to all of it, but put it in the question um, box so I know I don't miss it, so I can have that um, the next time we can answer more questions. But let's do our let's do our check-in. How are you doing? How is your life, okay? How was July for you? Um, if you are one of my clients or past clients in our private Facebook group, we've been doing the Joy in July challenge. It's been amazing and it's super helpful in the season that I'm in right now. Um, I have been a little bit MIA off of um, IG and just generally everywhere. Uh, can't be superwoman in this season, so I'm trying to give myself tons of time to rest. And uh, I'm in the middle of a huge uh, personal transition that's happening. It's all good, amazing things, Um, but it is tiring, okay? So I'm actually actually tired right now, Uh, but I promised I would come talk to you guys. So here I am, okay? Coach Jama is here. How are you doing? How's your summer doing? Have you done vacation yet? Have you not? Hello, uh, Dr. Elliot, how are you doing, okay? Tell me how you are. Let me get my notes ready here. Let me take a a drink of water here. Ciao. I don't think I've experienced this level of tiredness in a while. That's really good to hear that you're doing well. Um, I've seen your comments. I will respond, guys. I have literally... I didn't post yesterday. I didn't really post today. I'm just, I'm tired. I'm not even going to lie about it. I'm tired. And it, you know, it's one of those tired where like you lay down, but because your mind is going, it doesn't really feel like you're resting because you're so, you know, um, tired. But I'm so glad glad you have caught the live as well, my darling. So let's get into this here. Let's get into the content Let me provide this beautiful value for you um, and help you in your journey in uh, creating relationship with God. If you are new here, my name is Coach Yema, and what I do is I help LGBTQ plus people who identify as Christians to make peace with their faith and their sexuality and sexuality. And today, we are talking about the Calvinist lie that has been stopping you from having relationship with God, okay? So it's been requested that I talk about Calvinism. I cannot do it justice in just one conversation with you all. Uh, so that's okay. Give me some grace with that. I just want to talk about three major tenets of Calvinism that's really messing us up, that's influencing the way that you read the Bible, that influences the way that you see God, that really uh, is a filter that we have in the way that we look at God and in the way that we look at the Bible and look at the church. 
And we don't know that this filter is there because Calvinism and the theories around um, that makeup Calvinism has been going on for so long. We don't really, it's like you can't tell the water that you're swimming in because you're swimming in it, right? And so what my intention today for you is to bring some acknowledgement for you, to bring you some, not acknowledgement, to bring you some awareness to like, oh, that's where I got that from. So have you ever been been taught or did you have some season in your, in your life where you believe that God was unchangeable? All right. That God never changed his mind. God never uh, changes anything. God's the same. That's a scripture. Okay. I'll get to that. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is supposed to bring us some uh, some peace, right? Like God doesn't change. That's an idea from Calvinism, okay? Calvinism actually has its roots in Greek philosophy with Plato. And most of the time we think, we call it Calvinism because of John Calvin. He made it like formalized. But he got his ideas from St. Augustine, who was very heavily... Um, uh, Oracle says John Calvin has someone has someone killed. I'm not sure what you mean by that, Oracle. So, um, what was I? That just got distracted for a second. This is like tired. This is probably <laughs> where pregnant people say they have like tired brains or whatever. This is probably what it feels like. Um, so heavily influenced by St. Augustine, who was steeped in with Greek philosophy. And so what Greek philosophers did, they looked at the world and they said, who would be the kind of person, the kind of being that would create this type of world? One of the ideas that they came up with, all of the three ideas that Calvinists really rest upon um, are from Greek philosophy, which number one is this idea that there, if there is a being who created this universe, there is no way that this being can be someone or something that changes in any form or fashion. They have to be the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So that's a Calvinist um, idea and filter of how we read the scripture, right? So approximately... Um, and this is I'm getting uh, most of this from this book. You can get this book as well because I'm a, I'm teaching from this. This is a, a textbook that I really, really enjoy. Um, you've seen it here before. You've seen it here before. Uh, it's called Understanding the Whole Bible by Dr. Dr. Jonathan Wells. And it's pretty thick. If you go and try to get the book in uh, physical form, it's going to run you about $700. But I believe you can get the free ebook. I don't know how that works, um, but that's how it is. If you're interested in diving deeper, please go ahead and get that as a resource because I don't want to be the only person speaking this to you. But I want to be clear that most of this information and what I understand Calvinism to be uh, has come from my understanding and studying of that book and other resources as well that have really come together. But this book is really, really good. I just speak in a plain, even though he's a doctor. I love it, okay? So um, the one of the ideas that Calvinism came up with that really is influenced by Greek philosophy is the idea that God doesn't change, right? The second one is this, um, that God is impassable. I'm so sorry for that. My dog is barking, um, which means that God does not have emotion, right? And so it's like God doesn't 
feel anything because there can't be a way if this god is somebody who never changes that means this god must have the same emotion okay and so that's heavily influenced the way that we come to the bible and we read scripture like when god says i love you because we don't have this understanding that god has emotion it's a very dry love right so that's why it becomes very it's not even cliche, but it's lost its flavor when people say, oh, God loves you because we haven't been taught that God is a God that has emotion. And so it doesn't feel like anything. There's no like warm and fuzzies when people say, you know, God loves you because they've told us God doesn't have any emotion. But apparently God experiences anger, which is an emotion. Things that make you go, hmm, okay. And the third thing that usually, let's see here. I'm actually going to skip the third thing. But basically is that the fact that God is timeless, because that's not really going to tie into what I'm talking about. But those are the three tenets that Calvinism rests upon, that God is unchangeable, that God doesn't have emotion or God is emotionless. And the third thing that God is timeless, which means that God exists out of time, which just very briefly, what that is saying is that we do we do know and believe that God knows the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and Omega. And so if anything that's happening in your life, God already knows the end of it. And so like God's never surprised about anything. Um, the reason why I'm not going to go deep into that because it's connected to something else. But if you want to understand and, and just have a brief um idea of how that really doesn't hold weight when you look at the scripture is number one um in the very beginning god said that he regretted making humans right which that's the first thing about god changing his mind but the thing about god being timeless do you remember the story with abraham and the angel of the lord which would have been the spirit of christ came down and said i've heard the cry of these people i have come in time to see what's happening and the whole conversation with the age of the Lord and Abraham happened. Like if there's 10 righteous, if there's 50 righteous, da, 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 right? If God already knew the end for the beginning, that means that God was playing a very cruel joke on, on Abraham. Like what was the point of the conversation? Right? Cause, and then they teach like, well, God already knew the answer that you were going to say, ah, uh, uh, I don't know about that. Okay. But there are many other instances in scripture that really disputes the idea um, that God is only timeless, all right? And that can be a little shaky for us uh, because we do find and can find a lot of safety in understanding that God knows what's gonna happen and God's not surprised and so God's got us. But there is a delicate balance and integration that comes into the understanding how God can be a creator of time and also exist in time, right? Because when we try to put our understanding of what time is and what timelessness is um, and put that onto God, we're giving God the, um, we're giving God human capacities, right? And God is God. God is divine. God is creator. And so we cannot understand God from a human philosophy standpoint, which is what Calvinism is. Calvinism said, based upon what they understood and their influences from Greek philosophy, excuse me, from Greek philosophy saying, 
Uh, this is who we believe the God is who would have created the world. And now they took those filters, uh, okay, of their human philosophy and read the Bible with their filters. And because it's been happening for so long, because Calvinism um, with St. Augustine really is a Catholic idea, all right? And so it started with Catholicism. So if you think about it, one of the major tenets of Calvinism is this idea of original sin where you get infant baptism from, right? Because if you're born with sin, you got to get baptized, okay, early on just in case, right, you slip up and transition out of this world as a baby and you haven't had a chance to confess Christ yet and now you're on your way to wherever purgatory, like the middle point. I don't know. Catholics have like a lot of different places, there's like levels to the underworld, okay? I mean, you know, no comment. Okay, so the first one of, let's talk about the first thing of God being unchangeable, okay? That God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, that is something that is half true according to the scripture, all right? So earlier when I said how God uh, regretted making human beings because they were so depraved and every thought of their mind was complete pure evil. And so that's the whole idea of where it comes from, from scripture, that he wiped out everything and saved Noah because he was the only righteous one walking before him. So there, hello, Rob. So the idea that we have in the church and that we carry in this filter when we read the scripture that says God is unchangeable for us as queer people who are reading scripture that's non-affirming, um, appearing to be non-affirming of us and God never changes, it's easy for us to fall into the the trap of saying, well, uh, this is what God was saying to them about this uh, so many years ago. There's God's not going to change his mind, right? And accept us now, okay? Now, let me put a little disclaimer and caveat there. Just because people have interpreted scripture uh, to say that God was not loving and accepting of you does not mean it's true. God has always been loving and accepting of you. I'm just saying one of the ways that we get hung up and start to do the flip-flop between non-affirming and affirming theology is that we still believe the non-affirming, hello Lola, the non-affirming theology that says God was never before affirming or accepting of you. And if God doesn't change, right? Because you've heard it. People have told us you've seen it and heard it preached, right? Uh, God is not going to be changing according to the times and seasons, right? The society does not change who God is. You cannot come in here. Um, I'm having a temptation to slip into Southern Texan, uh, uh, a white Baptist preacher talk. I'm going to, I'm going to resist it, but I can feel it coming up. Okay, because I worked with a lot of Texans at the ministry here in Colorado, because uh, I could just hear them talking now. Um, hello, gelatin. But that can be the temptation, right? Of where we can say uh, and hear what people will say to us. Like God doesn't change it. He's not going to change his mind uh, now because in 2021, you're passing laws uh, that are affirming of you. God's the same. God's not going to change, right? So, but right after God created humans, okay, he changed and wanted to wipe us all out. As a matter of fact, he wiped them all out, right? Or the situation with um, with Jonah, right? So Jonah does this whole thing. He's trying to escape because he know God is kind and like God's like, go tell these people I'm about to do what I got to do. And you know, 
pay them back for whatever they're doing. And Jonah's like, I know who you are, God. You're compassionate. You're kind. I'm basically just going over here to like to waste my time. Okay. You want me to go prophesy this thing to these people? And I know you're just going to relent because if you know what relenting means, relenting means changing your mind. And so Jonah goes and he prophesies the doom that's coming if they don't change up. All right. The people of Nineveh change up real quick and God relents from what he was planning on doing. Right. Or what the, the consequences were. And if you read through all of the entire uh, Old Testament, you're going to see many of times in the, the books of the prophets where God says, if you do this, right, we know that um, famous scripture, I think it's Chronicles 7, it might be Chronicles 7, 7 or something like that, First Chronicles, um, where if these people are, the people who are called by my name, if they would, if they would humble themselves and pray and seek me, right? I will relent or not do the thing that I'm planning on doing. So all of the time, God's in there changing his mind, okay? So the character of God does not change. God is, is, is both an eternal word, okay? It's a word seven for things, thank you. Um, it's both an eternal word right now and forever. So when somebody says something is, right? So God is love. That's eternal. And that's true right now. That's true always, right? So when um, we talk about the character of God, yes, God most definitely is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Does the mind of God change? Yes. Okay. I know that may be a little like, it might be freeing for you, actually, to think about that. I know for me, when I first heard, I was like, wait a minute, what? Like, what did that mean? Like, my first thought was like, are you going to change your mind on whether or not you're going to bless me? <laughs> right? Like, I'm going to do something and then God going to be like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and switch that up. Okay? The character of God, because God is love, okay? God is always going to, thank you, um... Montaya, so Second Chronicles seven fourteen was that scripture of if the people who are called by my name um, will humble themselves and seek my face. Okay, so the character of God, because God is love, God's default is always love. Okay, so God's default is always going to be to love you. God's default is always going to be to bless you because that's who God is. Love is an emotion, and, and love also, which is going to lead us into the next part of this. Love is an emotion and it's also an action word, right? I feel love, therefore I do. For God so loved the world he gave, right? So love, uh, as, as you embody love and you've been here before, um, the easiest thing for me to reference is when all of us have been in love for the first time or infatuated with that person, right? And you could just do anything. They could ask you for anything and you'll do it. Or your family members, um, your, that you have good relationships and even the ones that you don't have so great relationships with, right? Is you say to yourself, like, they could ask me for anything and I will do it for them because that's your default. And so that is the truth about who God is as well. So if your initial thought thinking that God changes his mind, that God's going to change his mind when it comes to loving you or blessing you or answering your prayer, now, because the character of God doesn't change, the character of God is love, the, the nature of God is love, the identity of God is love, right? Like no matter 
If you have a, a peach, let me not do that. <laughs> let me not use that. Let me not use that one because I was about to say if you bite into any part of a peach, but hmm, let's not go there. So if you if you have, <laughs> what's a good one? Um, a plum, okay? So because you can bite through the skin of that or a pear. No matter what part of the pear or the or the plum fruit that you bite into it's gonna be that same fruit because that's the identity of that that seed that was grown right so that fruit no matter where it is is always going to be that fruit right so no matter how you turn god around or how you look at god and whatever right no matter what view that you are beholding god and however you twist god it's always going to look like love okay so that's the restful part of God being the same yesterday, today, and forever that God is always love. But does God change his mind? Yes. Okay. So God's not playing some like weird game with you where it's like, I'm going to be testing you whether or not you know the answer. Like, why would you be testing me to know if I know the answer if you already know everything that's in my heart? Like, that doesn't even make any sense. That seems like a really huge waste of time. And I don't think God is like sitting up there just because he knows. Like, how boring would that be? as God of like knowing everything you're just like pretty much pressing play on the Netflix world like the earth you know uh movie like weird that's strange okay doesn't even make sense when you think about it the second thing of God not having emotion and this is the Calvinistic lie that is stopping you from having relationship with the divine because we have been taught right based upon greek philosophy because they really highly valued stoicism and what stoicism was was an understanding or they're not understanding but a belief that your emotions were part of your lower nature and so as emotionless as you could be was the holier you could be you've gone to church okay you've hang, hung out with like religious people you know what that could look like it could be like really fake like strange like eye twitching type of joy right <laughs> like okay sis calm down all right or it's just like this like fake this fakeness because we believe god doesn't have emotions so we have to like keep this weird perfect uh disposition all of the time uh because we believe that the deity or the divine that we are in relationship doesn't have emotion in order for us to ascend um into Hello, Craig. In order for us to ascend and be closer to God, we have to let go of the lower parts of our being, our nature, which is where they believed emotions dwell. Okay. So now, yes, it is super creepy. Okay. But these people who are teaching this are also teaching that God is able to experience negative emotions. So God can be angry and God can be wrathful. But God's not like loving and God's not, you know, having the warm of fuzzies and God's not like excited. One of the best stories of representation of God that Jesus told was the story. I love the story of the prodigal son. Um, it really, it's supposed to be called the prodigal father. But the father in that story did something and expressed emotion in a way that they believed at the time was not possible because God was representing to them what how their relationship with God was. So God was the father and they were the son. And here you here you have a father that is 
in a state of yearning and desire for his son because he kept his eyes at the horizon waiting and anticipating for his son to come home and once he catches a glimpse of him lifts up his dress like this royal robe situation that he has on and takes out in full speed run okay dash toward his son hugs his son around the neck i'm sure there were tears of joy because your son has come home that is the heart of god that jesus in that time was trying to represent and even if they missed it because people like their money right so here you go here's the shepherd and the sheep there's one that goes away he leaves the 99 and goes after the one okay that's not an emotionless uh behavior or action to take that's something that's an action that's very caring and very beautiful okay so hello miss toyer our vip is here right so that's what Jesus was trying to communicate to them. And then if you all remember, uh, if you ever had to do Bible verse time, like <laughs> I had to do when I went over to my seven day Adventist fun uncle's house on Saturdays, or I guess every night we would have to like remember uh, a Bible verse and everybody wanted to go first so that they could say the shortest verse in the Bible, which is Jesus wept. Okay, that's a short, hello, Miss Shanae, um, that Jesus wept. So if, if Jesus, according to Hebrews 1 and 3, is an exact representation of God, and Jesus was weeping for because of their unbelief, not because they were masturbating or because they were having lustful thoughts um, over a, a same gender person or whatever, or romantic uh, feelings, Jesus was weeping in that time because they didn't believe how much God loved them. And that, that hurt, right? You ever love someone and they just can't get it, right? Have you ever loved somebody so much it makes you cry? Have you ever, okay, right? Prophet Brandy stated that, okay, the song stress, Brandy stated that in that song, have you ever loved someone so, so much it makes you cry? That's the situation from that scripture. So very obviously, God has emotion. One of my other favorite um, examples, representation of God in the Old Testament, I believe is Zephaniah 3.17, where the scripture says that God sings and dances over us. And it's not like a, a little two-step, okay? It's like God is like spinning and in joyful celebration uh, of who who you are, of your existence. Like God is excited about you, that God is in not just a good mood, God is in an amazingly great mood over your life and over you and how you were created and all of your queerness, right? It's all about celebration. The fact that in every society that you can look around, the thread of celebration exists in almost every culture, okay? There's dance, there's music, there's celebration. All right, that is a mirroring as above, so below, right? That is a mirroring of who the divine is and how God is showing up in the, in the creations that we call humans in this world. So you cannot tell me that God doesn't have emotion, but then also tell me that God is angry. So then that means I'm fully going to believe and we have and it's okay. I'm sure you're maybe you're it's coming to a realization for you now that it has been difficult for you to come to God and approach God because you believe that the only emotion that God expresses or shows 
toward us is anger, right? Like it's very easy for us to believe when we do something bad, something bad's gonna happen to us, and it takes work. Like we gotta, we gotta do a lot of mind management to believe that good things are going to happen, that God actually likes and enjoys doing good things for us, right? The scripture that um, in Psalms, the scripture says that God uh, rejoices over the prosperity of his servants. You're not a servant, you're a child, so just imagine, okay? God is rejoicing over the prosperity of those people that are in relationship. So can you even think about that, of think about God rejoicing? One of the times I've had encounter uh, with God in a spiritual healing session, uh, God, <laughs> God showed up and uh, it was Jesus and Jesus had a, a party hat on. It was like, like Jesus is the, like I'm the party, like the party's here, right? And Jesus and I were like sipping on wine with straws and we were having this beautiful time in this encounter and it was very healing for me and necessary for me because it was difficult for me to see God in that light. And even now, uh, for a lot of the personal time that I spend with God, uh, I dance with Jesus because it's important for me because I love, I love dancing, okay? Um, West African, Liberian woman music is... I'm not gonna say, I was gonna say music is my crack, but that's inappropriate. Um, music is my my drug, okay? And dancing is my joy. So for me, I image a lot dancing and get into my imagination with me and Jesus having a party. And that helps me a lot. And so if you wanna, you wanna steal that and take that and practice that this weekend, you're more than welcome. I give you permission to go ahead and do that. But if you are not able to see God in that way, that God is rejoicing or that when you are sad, that God feels for you when you're sad and God is able to uh, enter into those emotions with you, not to get lost in it, right? But to understand like because God also has emotions, which makes complete sense. Why would God make us with emotion and not have any? Like, it's weird. We are made in the image of God, okay? That just doesn't mean that two eyes and a mouth and a nose and all this other stuff. You're made in the image of God. If you have emotions, God has emotions, okay? So God is able, the scripture says in Hebrews that Jesus is able to relate to what you're going through because he's gone through it, not just here on earth, right? He experienced what it was like to be a man and be submissive to all of that, right? but that he's able to relate to you. And so if I understand that God is a person or a being that experiences emotion, if I'm angry or if I'm sad or if I'm frustrated, it's easier for me to take those frustrations to a God that I know understands what I'm going through, not from a place of you need to get it right and get good right now, but from a like, yeah, I can see how, you know, I understand how this can be painful. Also, the Bible says that we should mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. Why would God call us to do something that God has not and is not already doing? Things that make you go, mm, mm, mm. okay? So as a queer person, if you are experiencing pain 
in the way that your family is responding to you or the church at large is res responding to you. If you're feeling rejection uh, from the teachings that your spiritual leaders that you surrounded yourself with, okay, come on over here. If you need some extra, come on over here. Okay, I got you. But with the 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 spiritual leaders that you've been surrounded with that are causing you to feel rejected and feel pain, God very much is aware of the emotions and the pain in your heart. And that is just such an intimate, beautiful place because we can, rejoicing is a vulnerable, vulnerable place to be, right? But it's almost like I need to know that when I'm crying at night, right? Or like when I'm crying on the inside, and if I'm one with God and we're sharing this, this, this space and we're existing together in this space right now, that what I am going through, that you get it, right? Like sometimes we don't want to have, we don't have the words to say how we're feeling or what we're going through. We have, sometimes we go through these, these mental acrobatics, I always call them, to try to get the right words out. But sometimes if you are able to recognize and become aware and acknowledge that God has emotions, if you are able to do that, you're able then to sit and be still with God and, and feel what you're feeling, right? If they're not like great emotions and know, just knowing that God gets it is an immediate way out of that, right? But you got to know that God gets it first and then you're able to then jump into the rejoicing and the celebration because that's really what you're created. You're created for joy. You're created for love, okay? Because love, first manifestation is, is joy, okay? You're created for that. And so when you're experiencing these uh, their lower emotions does not mean they're part of your lower nature and you need to avoid them, okay? Hello, birdie. So I hope that's helpful. But the last thing I want to talk about, this idea that came from Calvinism, which is original sin and total depravity, okay? Original sin originated with St. Augustine. Um, and the history with him is that before he became a Christian, he really wrestled and struggled with sexual um i don't want to use the word immorality because that, that's so uh, a word that's triggering for us as a community but he struggled with his sexual impulses okay so he believed them to be evil because even after he became a christian he still struggled and so his idea his belief was that there was a necessary evil act which would be sex to bring into the world human beings. And so the act in itself was evil. And so you being born through that evil act meant that now you were born um, into sin, right? And so if you were born with sin in you, then you have no ability, because this is him trying to rationalize and explain, right? Not even like reading the scripture really clearly, that because I was born with this sin on the inside of me, Okay, and now he had some help with misunderstanding this because there's uh, scriptures like Romans 7, right, that isn't talking about what he thought it was talking about, <laughs> talking about, okay? But he believed that this thing is in me and I can't control it. It's because if I was struggling with sexual sin before and now I'm a Christian and I'm still struggling, this thing must be so deep on the inside of me. It must be something that happened before I could even have, have a choice, so now there's a necessary evil act. Hello, Kiana. There's a necessary evil act that has happened 
Now I'm born with sin on the inside of me. My heart is desperately wicked and I can't control it. Okay. I don't know how to master this thing. And as queer believers, the way this gets translated to us is that you are born with sin on the inside of you. So when you tell me that you were born gay, that's not saying anything to me, but a confirmation okay that we were all born in sin and that is just your sin i want you to raise your hand and put a one in the comments if you've heard that before okay because i definitely have and that can be like a quick out because we thought <laughs> the queer community thought we were doing something we were like well i'm born like this and then the the religious uh christian said um we're all born in sin okay and you're like oh oh okay what do i what, what do i do with that right Yes, so I'm seeing all of the ones. I'm seeing the raised hand. Yes, gelatin. Uh, Laura, okay. Yes, everybody has, okay. So now here's the thing, okay. Uh, where is the scripture? Let me find it for you. You were not born in sin. Because they try to explain that too with uh, how Jesus and the virgin birth happened. So Jesus couldn't have been born uh, a sinless being because uh, sex would have been the act. So they have a lot of help further down the scriptures to help them say and back that up. But let me tell you something real quick. Let me go to the scripture. You, If you've been watching me for, for a while, you already know what I'm about to say. Okay. Now, I believe it was Genesis. <clears throat> this is a conversation with God and and Cain okay let me see if I can find it really quickly but this scripture basically says let me find it I can't find it right now um but it's in Genesis 4 my eyes are like doing a little dark thing because I don't have my my glasses on but in Genesis 4 okay God tells, hello, Sam, God tells Cain, right, that sin is crouching at your door. You have the ability to master it. Like literally completely opposite of this whole original sin idea. Okay. So now we all have a choice to do things that are not love, which is what sin is missing the mark of who you are. So we all make that choice and we all make those choices. So the age of accountability comes into place where for little kids, right? It's like, okay, well, we do have a choice. We have to get baptized when you make the choice to choose Jesus. And then hopefully you're living perfectly after that. That's not true. That doesn't happen that way. Okay. But in Genesis, God is very clear because uh, Cain and Abel came after the fall. Okay. And I only put that in quotation marks because the way that we understand that is not the way I, let's leave that alone. Anyway, so Cain and Abel, sex had to happen, which would have been the this, this sinful act that uh, St. Augustine and Calvinism took into the church, right? Brought into the, to the church that sin was something innate on the inside of you. And now you need to uh, like suffer through it basically because he couldn't get free. 
And so it just was just like evil thing. And so because this idea of original sin being connected to sexuality, okay, to sex in all of its forms, if you want to know why the church hates or avoids talking about sex and talking about sexuality, it comes from this. Okay, so anything that has to do with sexual orientation or sexual identity or the homosexual, okay, all of those ways that they say that when they hear it, because Calvinism is is this filter that we have. And part of that Calvinistic filter is the idea of original sin. It's automatic that we think anything that has to do with sex is sin. Because really, that's what it is. It's almost the way, thank you. Um, oh, come on, Montaya, you over here coming through. I love it. Genesis 4, 7. I was over here hanging out. Sam says, sex is like a cuss word in Calvinism. It really is. And the way that the church teaches about sex is almost like it was the devil that created sex. Um, yeah, I don't, I can't, I don't believe that. Uh, obviously because the devil didn't create anything, but the way that they teach it is that the devil created it. And so of course the ideas around self-pleasure and masturbation and the palms getting hairy and you going blind and God crying and all this other stuff is because they've disassociated your sexual, uh, nature, the part of, cause you're a sexual being. So they've disconnected your sexuality from your holiness, okay? So they're saying for in order for you to be sacred, in order for you to be holy, okay, you have to get control over this sexual part of you, not in a way that has integrity, but in a way that is saying that this is something that God never intended to happen because it happened, I guess, uh, after the fall. And it's this evil act that we can't control. Um, <clears throat> the idea that, Men can't control their sexual urges and they're just at the whim of their impulses. St. Augustine. Okay. I wonder what, this is a side note because y'all know I like to have a good time. Okay. I wonder what, if St. if we all, let's just, let's have this premise, right? We all believe in heaven and we're all getting mansions. Okay. And people can still see like, kind of like what's happening here. I wonder what St. Augustine, with all of the crap that he started, that he is also in like a gated community. So when people like myself transition and go knocking at his door and want to ask him just a few questions, I just want to holler at you real quick, St. Augustine, because what happened? Like what, what, what was you, why were you so influential? Okay. Uh, because he was a white Catholic man. Okay, moving on. But the ideas and the disgust and the disdain that we have uh, for our sexuality has its roots in the idea of Calvinism of original sin. Now, here's the truth. Your sexuality and your spirituality are two sides of the very same coin, all right? Your spirituality is your desire to know God and to be known by God, okay? That's your spirituality. Your sexuality 
is your desire to know it to be known by other people. All right, because sex, sexuality is an exchange of energy. All right, the, the act of sex, yes, in the 3D materialistic realm, okay, it is very much a physical sensation, but it is also an exchange of energy, okay? So when you are uh, breaking bread with someone, okay, when you're having a meal, a covenant meal, it is an exchange of energy. It is your desire to be in relationship, right? So the sexuality is relationship with the people around you, right? With 3D humans, okay? And your spirituality is your relationship with the divine. If you're able to zoom out and see your sexuality from that standpoint and not this, um, the way it has been communicated as our base lower nature, like it's just like, weird creature that's like hiding in the corner ready to come out and ruin your life okay that's not the case so if you're able to zoom out and see it from that higher perspective okay now there's the different levels of how you want to know people right and so there's the friendship way that you want to know people and there are there's the romantic way that you want to know people and that looks different it's not by accident that in the scripture that Adam knew Eve. It's a knowing, okay? So it's the same, it's the same knowing. You know, I love John 17, 3. I'm not gonna stop saying it, okay? The same knowing, the intimacy that you have been called to, all right, with your relationship with God is the same intimacy that you desire with other people around you. It's normal, it's natural. That's why we're communal beings, right? We love community because of that, because of the sexual part of our natures, okay? Was that helpful for you all? <laughs> Lola says maybe somebody burned St. Augustine uh, sexually. He could have he literally been burned. Uh, he could have got a little... Got a, an infection from his behavior, okay? So let's see here. I hope that was helpful for you all. That is uh, the end of what I wanted to share um, with you, okay? I That was, um, yeah, that was amazing. I'm so thankful I, I pushed through. So I uh, was going to, hello, uh, I was going to put on some sweats and come before you guys and just sit uh, I don't have a glass of wine, but I was going to have us do like a chill conversation. And then I went into my room and uh, I have this clean white dress and I have this like thing that I've been wearing around as I've been meditating. And I don't know, I put it on and I just got some energy. And so I'm probably gonna go take a nap real quick. But yeah, I hope that was helpful. Make sure you share it. The audio will be on the podcast, Career Christian Conversations. And also, uh, the group coaching experience, we're going to open up enrollment again soon for the fall time. And the exciting news that I have for you, because I told you guys I'm going to share something exciting, is that we have um, the name of the, because I didn't have a name before, I was just calling it Queer Christian Group Coaching. But now I have a name that's been divinely, and my, my uh, clients have helped me with this as well. But the name of the group coaching experience is Clearly Beloved, okay? So I will be introducing that, that Logan, all of the fun stuff with that, and then giving you some more information uh, for us to begin working together in a group um, experience, okay? 
Yes, Sam says, name it and claim it. Christ says, thank you. You are gorgeous and have a beautiful heart. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You guys are all amazing. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been so much fun. And we will be back next week, Thursday. Okay. So love y'all. Talk to y'all soon. Bye.